0: Welcome to another edition of the American Bankruptcy Institute podcasts, which feature conversations with prominent figures in the bankruptcy world about topics of interest to our members. I am Jean Braucher, professor of law at the University of Arizona in Tucson, Arizona, and current resident scholar at the American Bankruptcy Institute. I am pleased to welcome as my guests, Marty Copaz and Bob Childrey from Grant Thornton LLP. Both have expertise in the firm's public sector practice. They will be discussing the firm's recent paper on the pros and cons of bankruptcy for states. It is called, Too Big to Fail or Too Big to Bail Out. Marty co-founded the restructuring practice at Grant Thornton, where she is now managing principal of corporate advisory and restructuring services. She has more than 25 years experience in restructuring work, including in many bankruptcies. She leads the Public Sector Municipal and Not-for-Profit Insolvency Initiative at the firm and is responsible for its engagement providing financial advisory services to the Nassau County Finance Authority in relation to the financially distressed Nassau County of New York. She received her undergraduate and MBA degrees from Indiana University. Bob Childrey recently joined Grant Thornton in its state and local consulting practice and before that was State Comptroller of Alabama for 22 years. He has 35 years of experience in financial management and accounting systems for state governments. He has been active in state and national associations of government auditors, comptrollers and accountants. His bachelor's degree in business administration and accounting is from the University of Alabama. This podcast will examine the pros and cons of creating an option for states to file for bankruptcy. By way of background, currently the Bankruptcy Code includes Chapter 9, a bankruptcy chapter for municipalities, but it does not provide for state bankruptcy. It is fair to say that if a state bankruptcy chapter is ever enacted and then used by a state, there will be a constitutional challenge. But the U.S. Supreme Court has held that municipal bankruptcy under Chapter 9 is constitutional, and by extension, there are arguments that a totally voluntary state bankruptcy process would not tread too much on state sovereignty and could pass constitutional muster. Given both of your expertise in management and finance, let's pass over the constitutional questions and talk about how state bankruptcy might work and its pros and cons. Now you've organized your paper with the cons first uh, and then the pros. So let's start with the cons of state bankruptcy. An important one that you discuss is the risk of negative effect on the public finance market Some say even talking about state bankruptcy is risky to the bond market. So what is that potential impact of having a state bankruptcy option on bond markets and thus on states' access to borrowing? And how big a worry should that be for this idea?
1: Well, if you listen to the professionals that make their living in the public finance world, they will tell you that the cost of borrowing across the board will increase if there is a state bankruptcy law. Um, we've thought about that, and we think that you know, in, if this is the case, then one would assume that the cost of borrowing by municipalities would be higher in states that allow their cities and towns to file for Chapter 9 than in those states that do not allow their cities and municipalities to file for Chapter 9. However, so far, we have been unable to identify any pricing differences uh, of municipal debt between similarly situated states that are only differentiated by whether or not their municipalities have access to chapter nine
2: Bob? Well, the truth is that the uh, municipal barn market is already pretty fragile Uh, We've discovered evidence that many investors are moving away from state and local bonds uh, because of the uncertainty in the economy, and especially in the uh, local government area. Now, this is uh, based on the fact that this economy we see more and more states having real difficulties in dealing with the problems that were created by the government leaders who did not exhibit the courage or were not willing to exhibit the courage to make the right decisions and simply uh, kick the can down the road to future generations. And and In my opinion, bankruptcy would simply add fuel to this fire.
0: A follow-up on the bond market. Is there a potential that the harm from having state bankruptcy and having it used might be greatest to borrowing capacity of states that don't file in bankruptcy. That is a, a state that filed would presumably be in bad financial or fiscal shape already and might improve its credit worthiness with a bankruptcy. So might the negative impact be on other more prudent states and you get the same sort of argument in the personal bankruptcy realm that when Some individuals don't have credit morality and don't go to extreme lengths to repay their debts. It's others who get hurt by having to pay more for credit. Could that happen with states?
1: Uh, Jean, I think you make a valid point. We have clearly seen this when industries go through bankruptcy and one player elects to stay out of that process. We've seen that uh, most recently in automotives, but before that we saw it with airlines. We saw it in telecom that sometimes the company that chooses not to avail themselves of bankruptcy court protection ends up uh, as, as the weaker player in that industry.
2: Well, the truth is that there's really no free lunch. Uh, you know, someone always suffers in a bankruptcy. You know, frequently you hear people bemoan the fact that, uh, that an individual's credit is ruined you know, because uh, in reality, someone else pays for the sins of others. Um, You know, I believe that the result of a bankruptcy in a state is going to result in an overall greater cost of borrowing and an increased scrutiny uh, that that will be put on the states by the bond rating agencies and the investment community, and especially on those states that have exercised sound financial management and have successfully dealt with their economic problems. They're going to have that increased scrutiny and and there will be an increased cost associated with borrowing for, for everyone.
0: Let's discuss how the risk of upsetting the bond market could be managed. Obligations secured by particular revenue streams would presumably come ahead of general unsecured creditors in state bankruptcy. For unsecured general state obligation bonds. Would it make sense to give them a priority or a partial priority to come ahead of other unsecured creditors? Or would that undercut debt relief too much?
2: Well, Gene, I think uh, general obligation bonds are are fairly commonly known to have the full faith and credit of the state supporting them. So one assumption has been that they therefore have first claim against all the general fund revenues uh, of the state. If we apply that assumption in a bankruptcy, they would have first claim. It might also be prudent to note that since states are sovereign entities and they have the authority to create revenues by the enactment of legislation, then the expectation uh, is that these types of obligations are secured by that ability and would have a first claim.
1: It, you know, Bob references the general obligation bonds. Um, the other type of bond that's typical in um, our state and local government world are revenue bonds. And the revenue bonds are paid from a specific type of fee or tax. Um, think of it in, in, as a, a toll road or a uh, wastewater treatment facility. Um, but when we think about public sector bonds, whether they're general obligation or revenue bonds, and compare and contrast those to uh, bonds in a commercial case, the government bonds really don't have any collateral in the traditional sense. Um, This is a place where we'd really like to see some innovation and some creative thinking brought to bear on just how can a state's obligations be balanced amongst the various claim holders you know, all of whom think that they've been promised something that was very secure and likely, you know, at the top of the priority chain.
0: Okay, and you also mention in your paper the very anti-union feel of the idea of state bankruptcy. Are unions as well as the general public wrong to think that state bankruptcy would be primarily used to cut back on pensions and other benefits of public employees and to weaken unions?
2: Well, Gene, I I don't have a a really great perspective on this since I came from a state with essentially no union union contracts in the government sector. But there are many uh, strong union-like associations that emulated unions in their negotiation for benefits. And I'm fairly certain that they would bring the exact same argument to the discussion. Now, no state government would enter into a bankruptcy without evaluating every other option. Uh, Politics alone would tell you that. Uh, Every politician is looking toward the next election and can't afford to take this matter lightly. If their only goal is to break unions and uh, destroy benefits for employees, they can simply do that through the legislative action. If you look to Wisconsin, you'll see uh, how that can be done. Uh, You know, they pass the laws to enable the benefits, and if they pass the laws to enable the benefits, then they can certainly change the benefits by a similar action.
1: Again, I think, you know, this is a good point to compare and contrast with the corporate world. Um, You know, as we know, in Chapter 11, collective bargaining agreements can be voided or changed. Um, They can also, uh, you can do the same thing in a Chapter 9, although the standard's a little different. Um, but the point here is that rarely does a company go into bankruptcy for a single purpose, with that single purpose being to bust the unions. And we think that similarly, any state that would be interested in using the power of a bankruptcy law uh, would be doing that to resolve a variety of problems, not just you know, a, the single issue of collective bargaining.
0: Okay, well, and and to allay this concern uh, about impact on public employees, would it be appropriate to give a priority or perhaps a partial priority in a state bankruptcy chapter to certain employee claims, such as pensions promised to employees who've already retired or who are very near to retirement? Um,
1: Jean, I think it's difficult any time we deal with failed promises. Again, a real balance is going to be needed here. Fulfilling the promises already made to retired employees, for example, could mean that those nearing retirement or those with 20 years left to work end up getting nothing. You know, undoubtedly we are seeing states change the retirement programs for new employees, but that's not going to be enough to solve the existing problem with the obligations that are owed to former and current employees. I hope that employees or retirees would get a benefit, and we have that sort of precedent already in Chapter 11, but that probably can't reflect the totality of what they're owed, or you're just going to end up back in the same place that you started.
0: Yet another related con uh, that you discuss in the paper and, and have already mentioned is the politics of state bankruptcy it may not have helped the political viability of this idea that it was most prominently supported by an op-ed or in an op-ed published by uh, former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich, who's now a possible presidential candidate, and by Jeb Bush, a a former governor of Florida and brother of um, former President George W. Bush. So it's come to seem like a Republican idea although the Repu- the current Republican House leadership has so far not warmed up to it. There seem to be several different political considerations. One is that a state's elected officials, if you, as you've mentioned, would take a blow to their reputations if they filed in bankruptcy. Um, but another is that unions are major contributors to the Democratic Party, Uh, which partially offsets fundraising capacity that the Republican Party has from business interests probably to a greater extent than Democrats. So is state bankruptcy now an idea that's just too hot to handle?
2: Well, Gene, as I stated earlier, elected officials are not always looking to the future, uh, but merely to the next election. So if you take political rhetoric and put it aside, and there's plenty of that from, as you mentioned, Newt, Grant, Gingrich, and others, um, an elected official has an obligation to the office that they're elected to serve, and they have an obligation to the citizens of the state, and they also have an obligation to their state as an entity. So every official has an obligation to solve economic problems of their state. They have tools that they can utilize to do that. And those tools involve things such as reduction in expenses, elimination of unnecessary work, operational improvements that they can implement, and even the enactment of appropriate revenue measures. And these become expectations. Citizens clearly do not expect the elected official to bankrupt their state to solve problems. Uh, the stigma of a bankruptcy in a state would likely fell doom for that politician.
1: But Jean, you know that in the, in the commercial world, we often use bankruptcy to solve a variety of financial problems. You know, in fact, uh, the next paper we're working on is, is really about how do you apply traditional financial restructuring concepts into the public sector. So while I agree that the idea is maybe a little hot to handle uh, politically, there clearly are some good um, learnings that can come out of our experience with bankruptcy in the commercial sense that I would think would help be helpful to elected officials today and and in the near future
0: okay so is there a possibility that state bankruptcy might be too popular uh, the scenario I could picture, is that maybe you'd have a candidate for governor who'd run on a platform that prior governors and prior legislatures had been profligate Uh, and you know you could picture a candidate making a campaign speech, if elected I'll get in there, roll up my sleeves and file in bankruptcy to avoid drastic spending cuts and tax increases. Uh, So might this be a way Uh, that um, a politician could take advantage of state bankruptcy without taking political blame?
2: Well, first of all, Gene, I I really can't imagine anyone running on that platform. Now, if I think about today's society, however, where you have many people that feel like self-gratification is the way to go, and what I want at any cost is the thought of the day, uh, it really is not unreasonable to think that it might happen. But the reality is that most citizens, I think, would would uh, view that as a, pretty much an impossible way to manage government. And anyone bringing that idea to the table is basically saying, here I am, I'll give you everything you want, but don't expect me to pay the bill. Now that type of thinking is what got governments into the economic condition they find themselves and I think would ultimately fail. All
0: right, if we think about uh, how this would actually work, um, an implementation issue, and I think a key one, is what would be the basis for cram-down in a state bankruptcy? That is, what would be the test for um, forcing unsecured creditors to take less uh, than their full claims? There's usually some form of means test in bankruptcy, whether it's for individuals or businesses or even municipalities. With individuals, they have to give up their non-exempt assets or pay their value, and they have to uh, commit disposable income for five years if they're above median income and can't pass a means test. In Chapter 11, creditors have to be paid their liquidation share and under the absolute priority rule they're entitled to an auction of the business to see if more might be put in by a third party to pay them more. Now obviously in a public bankruptcy you can't sell off the state or put it up for auction, Uh, but in chapter nine, the municipal bankruptcy chapter, uh, there's a fair and equitable test for cram down And that gives the bankruptcy judge a lot of discretion uh, to decide whether the plan does enough for unsecured creditors. Given that states have taxing authority, when would it be fair and equitable, if that would be the test, uh, for states not to pay promised employee benefits or unsecured general bond obligations? Uh, Should this be left to a highly discretionary test
1: Jean, I don't think we have much choice. I I don't think that there is any way that we could create a test that would work uniformly to balance the various interests of of the constituencies whose claims are are going to be modified or adjusted in a bankruptcy process. Um, The issue that I think you're touching upon is what is the maximum taxing power of the state? And isn't that, shouldn't that also be part of uh, the determination of fair and equitable? Uh, Right now, we don't have any metrics that tell us one state has greater or lesser ability to increase taxes. Citizens choose where they live for a variety of reasons and obviously continue to live in places where taxes seem relatively high compared to their neighboring states. For example, I live in Massachusetts, which for many years has been known as Taxachusetts, yet directly north is New Hampshire, um, which has a much more favorable tax profile, yet you see population growing in Massachusetts um, at a greater rate as it is in New Hampshire. So the point that I'm making here is that the idea of the state's ability to increase taxes it can't be evaluated in a vacuum because ultimately if you set taxes too high, revenues will will go down overall and you'll be back into a difficult or or potentially worse situation. So I think for a variety of reasons, the idea of fair and equitable is going to have to be um, negotiated in the first instance by the constituencies um, but then left up to the discretion of the judge.
0: All right. Well, we've been mostly negative so far about this idea of focusing on the cons, so let's turn uh, to the pros. And in your paper, you discuss the benefits of the bankruptcy process, uh, that it has an ability to bring constituencies together and to do so transparently. Explain that.
1: Most municipalities are operating at a deficit today. Um, They have overspending, um, continuing, they continue to overpromise, and and that's leading to um, problems separate and apart from the decrease in revenues as a result of uh, the most recent past recession. Um, The challenges are largely a result of a political process when the elected officials are focusing first on reelection ahead of their management functions. What we have seen is that when you can present facts in a nonpartisan way and you can provide analysis that's understandable, you can get various parties on both sides of the political spectrum to eventually agree to a solution. Um, One of the greatest challenges that we face in the public sector is that there's a lack of transparency into the business of government. Um, For example, um, unlike the private sector, the requirement around accounting information and financial reporting for the public sector is not nearly as clear and understandable as it is in the private sector. And therefore, uh, it's very easy to manipulate data and information in a way that advances one political interest versus another. Um, and we think that that a bankruptcy, a formal bankruptcy process where information is made available to a wider um, population would be a good thing because ultimately you're going to get to the right answer, you're going to get to the truth that lies in that data.
0: You talk about the bankruptcy process uh, as a way to deal with the complexity of state finances with hundreds or even thousands of bond issues in some cases. Uh, Do you think a federal bankruptcy judge could bring order to adjusting all of that? Wouldn't it take a very long time and of course that also means a lot of money? Uh, And we can look at the recent example of the city of Vallejo, California, which filed in Chapter 9 in 2008 and still doesn't have a confirmed plan. Imagine, then, the whole state of California in bankruptcy. How would that work? Uh,
1: You know, I don't see the judge playing a significantly different role in a state bankruptcy than he or she plays in, you know, our typical Chapter 11 case. For the most part, stakeholders work through the issues and then only turn to the judge when they can't reach agreement. Um, We most definitely do not want to see the state of California in bankruptcy, but it would be advantageous to have a real threat of such a thing to bring the constituencies together to work on the real issues. Right now, there is still just a great tendency to put off these problems and think that a recovering economy, think that you know, a change in uh, policy today will be able to solve the problems of the future. And our point of view is that that there's a lot more to be solved that can just be solved over time.
2: Well, you know, the idea of bankruptcy in this context is very interesting to me. And, you know, my view of this is that, you know, uh, to be at the point of bankruptcy, a state would have exhausted you know, all of the potential remedies that they have at hand to solve their problems. You know, perhaps in the state the political will would, would have disappeared, and essentially they throw up their hands and say, help. So, you know, what can be done through the bankruptcy is for someone to step in and create a plan where one does not exist. And so the question then becomes if if you can get someone to come in and structure a plan, uh, how do you get out of a financial crisis? well the reality is you get out of it one dollar at a time and so would this happen overnight no it, it wouldn't happen overnight but remember uh, these problems in state uh, and local governments uh, were not created overnight either
0: do you think that state bankruptcy is a better way to deal with uh, state financial difficulties than possible alternatives such as collective bargaining talks in the states that do have unions or other uh, special efforts to bring stakeholders together to share the pain in some way or a combination of spending cuts and tax increases. Jean, I
1: think that the, we don't have a lot of history yet with states and municipalities being successful at solving these problems. Um, One of the challenges that we have is that in the public sector, there's no bank out there holding collateral, pressuring management to act if they've blown a covenant, okay? You don't have bondholders or boards of directors insisting that tough choices get made. So while there are many ways to fix the problems our states and municipalities face, there is little motivation on the part of the constituencies
2: to do the right and painful things? Now, Jean, Marty is spot on with her comments. You know, the right and painful things are often not part of a political leader's mindset. You know, cutting services, eliminating staff, reducing benefits, renegotiating union contracts, none of those cultivate political gains. It's fairly easy to shift problems to future generations and create a perception, the perception that all is well. The reality, though, is that just like individuals and private sector companies, sometimes it's necessary to force the issue and to create an atmosphere that really allows for rational thought and tough decisions to be made.
0: You know, I think you've both already suggested um, uh, a key pro about having state bankruptcy, and that is the idea that the mere existence of this option of state bankruptcy uh, may make stakeholders more willing to compromise. Why is that?
1: Well, it's, I think it's a bit of the fear of the unknown. When we're working on out-of-court restructurings, we always have the threat of Chapter 11 as a tool and a motivator. The other thing is that the laws and the rules of Chapter 11 create a framework for working towards a resolution. So if you're a bondholder, you know that your Chapter 11 treatment is going to be thus and such, and you know what your options are. That is both instructional and motivational. Um, This is why we think some sort of a similar framework would be beneficial for the public.
0: Now, a a top reason for state bankruptcy that's been given by those who support it, this was mentioned in the uh, Gingrich Bush op-ed, Uh, is to avoid a federal bailout of a defaulting state and of course as we saw uh, with General Motors however the existence of a bankruptcy option doesn't necessarily mean there won't be a federal bailout as part of the process now some think the GM bailout worked pretty well um, stabilizing the auto industry in the US and also uh, with the Um, you know, follow-up that GM has repaid most of the U.S. investment and we the taxpayers might even actually turn a profit. Um, So that could be another pro that state bankruptcy would provide an orderly process in which the federal government could also kick in funds to make it work. So let's think about the relationship of state bankruptcy to the federal role, um, whether it might avoid a federal bailout or achieve a more orderly uh, federal, perhaps partial bailout, um, that, you know, what would be the relationship of having state bankruptcy to the role of the federal government?
1: We don't take a position on our paper as to the advisability or non-advisability of federal involvement in a state bankruptcy. What we have articulated is that the current sentiment on the Hill, at least as of today, is that there will be absolutely no bailout of an insolvent state. Now, politics have changed since the auto insolvencies, and obviously they could change again. But right now, the ATM machine for bailouts in Washington isn't working. I think the bigger concern is how do you choose who to bail out and who not to bail out? We raise this in our paper and make, you know, who wants to make a choice that California is important enough to bail out but Arizona's not? And that creates a whole variety of political issues that I don't think our Congress wants to tackle. Um, we think it's a bit of a slippery slope. and. Thus, once you would start supporting insolvent states or severely financially distressed states, you probably would have a hard time
2: stopping.
0: You have to t- treat all your children the same way.
2: <laughs> the anti-bailout sentiment in Washington is, uh, is well established, and although uh, amazing pressure can be raised to change that, The reality is, for the folks in Washington, is that sovereign states can deal with their own problems. They can raise taxes, they can cut programs, they can reinvent how they provide government services and so on. Now, if the states fail to act and the federal government declines to intervene, you know, there's very few options that exist other than a forced solution uh, that would enable significant issues to be managed through a very structured process.
0: You uh, you mentioned process, um, you end the paper with a proposed process to continue the debate about this idea of state bankruptcy and, and reach a resolution. What do you have in mind as far as process?
1: We would like to see a blue ribbon panel established. Uh, remember the Brady Commission? Something along those lines that takes a reasonable amount of time, say six to nine months, and really studies the issues and then develop some alternatives. We are not wedded to a bankruptcy law for states, but we do think that there needs to be some legislation that helps avert a chaotic default situation at the state level. Our vision for the blue panel group would be that it would include all the interested and affected parties, not just bankruptcy professionals. We think that many points of view are needed to arrive at an impactful result. That would include unions, it would include state officials, it would include public finance experts, concerned citizens, corporate players, just to name a few. Uh, But we we, we would want to see the bankruptcy profession take a lead on putting the panel together, guiding its dialogue, and coming up with some creative solutions.
0: Obviously, the profession has the expertise to think about the mechanics of this. Um, Candidly, though, what do you think are the chances that state bankruptcy will be enacted into law? How could the stars align for that to happen?
1: I don't think today that there's a likelihood that a state bankruptcy law will be enacted. However, two weeks ago, if you had asked me that question, I would have said maybe. And probably two weeks before that, I would have said it was much more likely. Congress has moved off of this topic and is now worrying about other things. But I don't think for a moment that the topic is over and done with. It is going to resurface again. The problems that our states face are not getting smaller. Um, And we really do need to develop some constructive alternatives to resolve these very deep-rooted problems and uh, facilitate a restructuring if you will of how our government is financed and how it operates so as not to put that burden on our children and our grandchildren
0: okay well uh... thank you very much we're out of time uh... i've been talking with Marty. Copaz and Bob Childrey of Grant Thornton LLP about their firm's paper discussing the pros and cons of state bankruptcy. Thank you for this very interesting conversation. In closing, I am Jean Browker, current American Bankruptcy Institute resident scholar. Thank you, Marty and Bob.
1: Thank you, Jean.
2: Thank you, Jean.